Hi folks, how good is how good is that opening music by the way? Performed by our music maestro, which is Tom, who also contributes much more to the production of this, the Steve Perriman podcast. Not to mention it's smooth running as well. Good evening, Tom, and of course to Howard also. Good evening. Welcome Good evening. to both of you. Um, despite the result. Last night I slept better for a change and I'm still trying to work out if that's because of a somewhat better feeling than of late in defeat or just the fact that it turned into a much later night than I'm used to. Mind you, I still could have handled another chunk of time allied to penalties that who knows may have ended up in a more positive fashion. So, chaps, you both watched the game, and um, let's have a, 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 a talk about how you saw it, and um, and please give us your opinions. Howard first. I always go into games thinking we have a chance, however slim, of winning. I always go into these games thinking that in the greater scheme of things, it won't hurt like it used to. Needless to say, I'm very upset and disappointed. Yet we played much better than we have for quite a while. Both teams seem to be going for it. Even before our first goal, we should have scored. But, but as, as you know, we missed it. A part of me said that it would have been too early, even, our, even if it had gone in. That's the Spurs supporter in your house. That's the true Spurs supporter. And lo and behold, we were 3-1 down before, despite their being second best up to that point. All those goals were avoidable, and we did well to make it 3-2 before half-time. It was a pretty entertaining match throughout, and they went 4-3 up. We hit back again for 4-all, but their fifth goal killed us off. So, out of the FA Cup in round five, even with the year ending in one. Very few players in our team seem to know much about defending, while the strikers seemed to miss Nona. The, the truth was that we should have taken our early chances and been two or three up before half-time. Overall, we seem to have defenders who can't defend or are ageing, full-backs who can't tackle or defend, Decent midfield players in Heuberg and Dombele, who could turn into a major player for us. Lucas runs around a lot, but there is very little results from his efforts. I'm now very scared that we may lose Harry Kane, and if, we, and if he went, would Son follow? Or do we yet again change managers, spend a lot on new players who are likely to be as average as those we have? Or am I just venting and we'll get over it soon? After all, it's only Man City this week, and we've beaten them already this season. Exactly. Tom? I thought it was a brilliant cup tie. It felt like a real old school ding-dong battle between two teams who really went for it, really wanted to uh, to win the game. And like yourself, like Howard, I felt pleased with the way we played and I felt that we uh, approached the game in a much more positive way than we have been uh, recently, um, following on from the West Brom game, which was a, a bit more of a positive performance as well. It's a shame that Individual errors ended up costing us uh, goals that on the balance of play, we probably didn't deserve to to concede. I think we deserved to win the game and was very encouraged by generally the way the team played. Um, but we're out of the cup. But like you say, easy, yeah. game, easy game coming up at the weekend to put it right again. Another easy game. Yep. Yeah, I thought that 
everyone paid so much respect to the fact it's an FA Cup tie. Be it, you know, ironic actually that um, Loris was in goal and maybe was at fault for one or two of the goals. That as a sign of being more positive to that particular competition. Uh, I loved how we started. Someone texted me and said, have we got new batteries? Because that's how it looked. Our tempo, the one and two touches, the movement was, was terrific. And the aggressive forward movement, um, dynamic. What about Lamella? That's one of the best players I've mm. played. That One of the best games I've seen him play. His last and, two games, he's been brilliant. Yeah, didn't yeah. he take yeah. his goal well, by the way? Yeah. So... I'm getting more and more concerned about VAR. I think that VAR had a night off. Two penalty decisions went completely against us. We've we've talked this pre-podcast, haven't we? And we, we all agree that the, the Everton penalty was incredibly soft. And for me, the, the Harry Kane shot into the wall towards the end of the game, I thought the defender or the wall man, whether he's the defender or not, moved his shoulder to, towards the ball. Uh, of course, it didn't hit his shoulder, it is his arm. So I didn't quite understand why we didn't, uh, didn't get more out of the situation. And even the commentators didn't really discuss it. They just passed over it very quickly. Which, um, which is worrying. And I thought Glenn might have given us more of a, an airing on that one. But, you know, I respect Glenn's opinion, of course. Um, for instance, chaps, do you think Delhi deserved the yellow? No. Not entirely. I, no. I personally didn't. I thought that was coming from something to do with the past, the referee with Delhi. Mm. It's, it's something that he may well have done in, in the past, but on this certain occasion, I, there was nothing there that suggested to me that he dived. He fell over, yes, mm. but I'm making it sound like we were a bit unlucky, but actually we were unlucky. And, and the other thing about the general game was it highlighted for me, you know, we looked very strong at, at particularly corner kicks. And you know, defenders are now holding, and I'm not saying that we're no, any different to any other team, but we're holding players that we're marking as if that's okay now. That's within the rules. They're the putting your arms around the player. When did that change? When did it happen that you could defend a player running to your goal so you could actually inhibit his running by putting your arms around him? I think that's... That's ridiculous. It's that's non-football. That's that's actually more like rugby than football. So so anyway, that's that's a sort of general opinion about the game. But thank you for your for your um, opinions. Anything else that's come up in while I've been talking? And if not, no problem. We'll go on to Howard's topic for the night. Um, 
linked to Man City, I think, Howard. Yep. So please, um, please enlighten us. And before I get to the match from a long time ago, I want to tell you a story of a very unusual man, a goalkeeper from Germany. His name was Bert Troutman. He was born in Germany in 1923 and was enrolled in the Hitler Youth in 1933. He became a paratrooper and was awarded Germany's most famous award, the Iron Cross. He was imprisoned by the Soviet army later than, than by the British. He saw out the war as a prisoner of war camp in England. He remained in England after the war and became a goalkeeper, played for a small northern club in 1948, before joining Manchester City of the old first division a year later. In 1956, Manchester City reached the FA Cup final, playing against Birmingham City. Manchester were 3-1 three, three up and Birmingham were throwing everything at them. Troutman dived at the feet of the oncoming striker, injuring himself in the process. The physio came on to look at him. In those days, there were no substitutes allowed and the physio would be bringing his medicine bag, a sponge. There were 15 minutes to go at this point and Troutman held on and City won the cup. People commented that he looked very odd and was leaning heavily one way. He eventually saw a doctor and they quickly discovered he'd broken his neck. Troutman came back the following season and was managed to sit his first choice keeper until 1964. There was more to come. His five-year-old son was killed in a car crash just six weeks later. He carried on and became very involved making efforts to foster better relations between Germany and the UK and was awarded an OBE for his work. I don't know for sure, but there can't be too many who had awards from both sides. Now you may ask, what has this all got to do with Tottenham? Well... We played Manchester City on 6th of April 1960, as the season was nearing its end. Three teams were in contention with the title, Burnley, Wolves and Spurs. We had five games left. Chelsea won, won their 3-1 on the 15th. Manchester City had home on the following day, lost 1-0. Chelsea, two days later, lost 1-0. Then on the 23rd, we won 3-1 away to Wolves. And finally, on the, th on the last game, we won beat Blackpool 4-1. It's not hard to feel that we lost the title through those two 1-0 defeats to Chelsea and Manchester City. The City game was very tough and there was no, scoring approach, there was no score approaching half-time. Then Spurs were awarded a penalty. Cliff Jones took it. The keeper made a save but couldn't keep hold of the ball and Jones following up rammed the ball in. The players and the crowd were going crazy, celebrating, only to discover the referee had decided that he had blown his whistle while the ball was crossing the line, so it was no goal. And the keeper who saved the penalty was, of course, Bert Troutman. Well done. Well, I've nearly said well done, Bert, but <laughs> it shouldn't be well done, Bert, should it? Come on, Bert, there was a no, favour. Exactly. exactly. So, uh, thank you, Howard. My topic today is a little different to usual, but also has some relevance to our next opponent's Man City. All of a sudden, it looks like two young players have made their mark on the improvement that City are showing this season. The first one is John Stones, who was signed for 50 plus million from Everton. The manager has managed him and now looks fitter, sharper, has confidence to run the ball into holes forward holes to set midfield players free. Whereas before, he looked like when he was failing as a £50 million plus player, 
He looked like he was made of crisps and, and too easily injured. It didn't help, by the way, that he was partnered with uh, Otamendi, the Argentinian. Now, there's, there's an overrated player if, if I've ever seen one. Man City swapped Otamendi with Benfica for Ruben Diaz, who is really a top, top player that can play, but also knows where and when to put his foot through the ball when necessary in dangerous situations. The other absolute re revelation has been Phil Foden, who's had to wait behind and be patient to some great, and I mean great, midfielders. Waiting his, his turn to get selected. This season, he's playing more game time and is or will be as good as anyone City have paid fortunes for in the past. I really like his energy and ability to not only threaten the opponent's goal, but to show extra energy on the way back to his own goal when recovering to, to defend. As a supporter, if we want to be critical, you can ask, why isn't he playing more? For instance, possibly Delhi or, or Gareth Bell. But managers know by the clues given in training when and where player is ready to be put back into the team. Or as I explained last podcast, the clues given by the substitutes. Endombele is a prime example of this and now showing just why the vast amount of transfer fee was paid out on him. You could ask why Stones was, was cast aside, why Foden didn't start more often. These managers are astute at reading. The, yeah, reading the signs and vibes. And most players I know from the past who were treated in a similar manner when looking back in later life from another less egotistical angle, agree that it was for, the, for their best, but certainly didn't quite see it like that at the time. That's really why I'm pleased that Delhi was not sold or loaned out, as it means the manager has not lost faith in him to be able to recover that form, his form that made him so popular with the diehard supporters. Forgive me, as I know I've said this before, the only and last piece of power that a man manager has at his disposal these days is the selection of the team. His team. This is where he must exert his power for the want of a better word. He cannot pick the team that you'd pick or the one that I'd pick or the chairman's team or the owner's team for that matter. What would happen if that team that one of us picked went on and won? Where does the manager go, go next? Have a ballot every week for the starting 11, then another ballot for the bench, etc., etc. Lastly, this is my plea 
as a homegrown player who joined at 15 and then played nearly 900 games for the club and was captain for quite a few years. If you, the supporters, expect loyalty from your players, as, as you should do, especially from homegrown ones, then cut Harry Winks some slack, please, instead of flack. I got into the team as a highly promising young player, which was soon being realised with Wembley appearances, winners' medals and international under-23 caps. My loss of form was due to playing with an ankle injury. I bet Harry is now thinking too much about his own game, questioning any mistakes he makes. Actually, he's already a full international, which must be some sort of confidence builder for him at this time. But just a, a, an obvious sell him or he's not good enough, get him out the team, could be, and this is no guarantee, one of the biggest mistakes the club could make. You all know, if you're regular visitors to this podcast, that I strongly believe in homegrown talent. Harry Kane, Phil Foden, both eventually, when the time was right, were allowed to flourish into their real game. And I do feel that Harry Winks is playing at the moment a bit confused and needed some direction, which of course is the manager's job to give. But faith from as many areas as possible to give him his mojo back. He looks to me like a very good character who by worrying, will probably try to do too much, which is normally, well, it normally isn't the answer. He hasn't cost Tottenham Hotspur Football Club millions, but just might end up the leader with the right motives to lead the club into brighter times down the road. If you liked or respected Potch, he believed in Harry Winks, as does Gareth Southgate, and now an established manager like Jose has kept him close to the action without yet being 100% in, yeah, being clearly 100% about him so far. There's time for him to develop, as I did, given a little bit of room to have an off day or two within learning his trade while still being in his development years. So, you uh, romantic troops out there, with Valentine's Day looming, let's go and do the double over Manchester City. As the first victory earlier in the season was heralded as a great tactical victory by Jose over one of the best managers that the Premier League has ever seen. Very tough task, but let's believe that we're capable. What would be seen as a shock result, knowing this, so far has been a season full of such shocks, with the away teams faring better and more than the average, usually. Well done to Everton. I certainly don't begrudge your, your victory against us. I'm, I'm hurt, but I don't begrudge you. Um, good luck in the, in the future FA Cup games. 
um, as I said, I, I I used to put Everton, Spurs, and Manchester City in the same block of type of teams. Red noisy red neighbours, probably in recent times, having outdone the three of us. But of course, Man City have moved into a a, a, a new region with the with the injection of money. So thanks for listening. Um, up the Spurs, and we'll speak next week. And if you've enjoyed it, please give this podcast a rating so more Spurs supporters can hear it. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Tom. And speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye.